0: Hi, I'm Angela Lee, and welcome to the Will to Live podcast, where we share with you the gifts of living. I speak to inspiring wellness leaders, mums, celebrities, business people, super grannies and more to help you live your potential, connect to your purpose and bring joy to your life. Discovering your will to live a fulfilling life starts now. Welcome everyone to the next episode of the Will to Live podcast and today we have the amazing Suze Cox coming on to join us today. So welcome Suze. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's so awesome to have um, Suze on and Suze is an accredited exercise physiologist who works with a wide range of clients in both clinical and gym environments. She specializes in exercise for special population groups, in particular clients with metabolic diseases, cancer, Parkinson's disease and other neurological conditions. She prevent, presents regularly at conferences and at corporate and community groups, and she also runs a dancing school in Sydney and enjoys helping young children and adolescents to make their health a priority from a young age. So it's just awesome. And I know Suze. I've known Suze for quite a while, and it's. I just really wanted to get her on today. And we're, today we're going to really focus the chat on Parkinson's disease. And last year Suze um, sadly lost her dad to this just what's quite a horrific condition and on chatting to her I just learned so much about the condition I just wasn't aware of and how there's so much that we can do to support this and I really feel it's an important message um, to get out. So Suze thanks for um, you know gone through a bit of a rough patch but thank you so much for sharing this because I think it's really important to to get out with people.
1: Yeah yeah
2: absolutely and uh, you know I think like we were chatting about um, you know before the before we got on the podcast here this is stuff that you didn't yet learn about at uni Um, you know I did four years at uni and there was just never any mention of exercise and Parkinson's disease even once so um, I just think it's a really unknown topic and things that I had no no idea about until you know it's right there in front of you and, and you you do your own research and you find all these things out
0: Yeah, no, it's so true. And, like, I know of several people who, you know, have got the condition and it's sort of, you know, lots of different types of people, I suppose, who have the condition, which I found really interesting as well. So I'd love you just to share a bit about, you know, a bit about sort of, I guess, what is Parkinson's, you know, a bit about the prevalence and, you know, a bit about how people end up getting at that type of thing, just so we can get the ball rolling.
2: Yeah, Mm. yeah. Um, So Parkinson's disease is is caused by uh, damage to nerve cells in the brain that reduces the amount of dopamine that gets released from the brain. So um, that can actually exhibit in a variety of different ways, which is something that I definitely didn't know to start with. Um, you know, when I think about anyone that I had known had Parkinson's disease, the, the major thing that I considered was a symptom was that tremor. That um, that's Yeah,
0: that's what I would think as well. Yeah. Quite
2: well known. Yeah, yeah. But uh, actually, even my dad had a, trim, a tremor to the start, um, probably once or twice he had a tremor. And then he had never, never had a tremor after that. Um, so oh. there's actually what they call the Parkinson's triad. Uh, which is, you know, if you like think of a triangle shape um, and people sit somewhere within that triangle of what the symptoms could be. So you could have uh, one point of the triangle is uh, is the tremor. Another point of the triangle is what's called bradykinesia, uh, which is a real slowness of movement. So, uh, you know, it's it's quite a change in gait. Their, their steps are quite small. Um, their posture is quite Uh, quite almost hunched over, that all falls into the bradykinesia category. And then on the other point of the triangle is the freezing, which is, you might have heard of in Parkinson's before, which is when you, you know, they can be mid and then all of a sudden they just stop and something makes them stop. So uh, my dad would get that a little bit. He would often get it if he was trying to walk through a doorway. So it was often when it was like enclosed spaces that he had to get through um, that he would start to get a little bit of a, of a freeze, but actually his major symptom was uh, was the, the real slowness in movement. Um, And and, and I think, uh, you know, unless you have an understanding that there's more than the shakes in Parkinson's disease, then you're not going to pick it up early. Uh, And like most diseases, picking Parkinson's up early is probably the number one factor that will will get you to a point where you can get it in some kind of control as opposed to, uh, you know, living a life that's quite difficult to live because Parkinson's disease, my dad died after about seven years with the condition. Well, actually probably less than that um, in the end because he had a different condition to start with. But um, generally the statistics tell us that most people will live for about 10 to 20 years and you don't die from Parkinson's disease. So uh, my dad died of complications because of Parkinson's disease. Uh, Mm -hmm. You won't die from the condition, you'll die with it. So that means if you've got it for 20 years, that can be 20 years of being trapped in your body because you can't move. So yeah. get that at an earlier stage. Um, and I've seen some just absolutely freaky things um, when you can catch this early and, and really treat it um, in the early stages of the condition. It makes just such a massive difference.
0: Yeah. So what are some of the things that you can look out for like that are early signs of this?
2: Yeah, um, probably the one of the big things that we noticed with my dad was really small handwriting, um, mm-hmm. which then I found out later was actually one of the early things to look out for. So um, because they've got that slow release, a uh, less release of dopamine, then the writing just becomes really, really tiny. So my dad, even this is even before he got diagnosed, um, had this really teeny tiny writing that just started to get smaller and smaller. Um mm-hmm one of the big things in exercise that I noticed. So, um, I used to do some exercise sessions with him, um, and this was, you know, pre-clinical. So this is pre-diagnosis. Um, and this is actually in the stage where we could have done something about it. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Uh, in that stage there, I, there was just little things that I noticed that, just didn't make sense to me as an exercise physiologist. So I was, you know, he, he, he really struggled to get off the chair. So he'd be, you know, sitting down watching TV. And, and then if you wanted to get off the chair, and now that I think about this, this was years beforehand, like this was maybe even 10 years ago. Um, I noticed him trying to get off the chair and he just couldn't get himself off the chair, but then he was walking quite normally. He had really normal gait at that stage. Um, he was really strong in the gym. So my dad was quite fit and healthy um and you know he used to cycle from one side of australia to the other um he would go to the gym and he used to do all this we do all this weight training and uh you know he you wouldn't think there was anything wrong with him because he could lift heavy things he could do all of the movements really correctly he moved quite well um but for for whatever reason he couldn't get off the chair and i remember thinking you know, what's the, well, what's the functional thing that I do here as an exercise physiologist and probably that most trainers or EPs would do, you'd go, okay, what's the most functional correlation with that? It's squatting and hip movements and hip hinging. And um, so, you know, I was putting all of that stuff in there and it just wasn't making a difference and he still couldn't get off the chair. And then I learned later that in Parkinson's disease, it's not so much about movement, it's about initiating movement. So he just couldn't initiate that movement off the chair from, from being in a still position um what else it was probably uh, it was a little bit difficult for us because my dad had actually lost his language um years before that so his first condition that he got was called primary progressive aphasia which is uh, a, a degeneration of the language center in the brain so he lost all of his ability to talk and um it sort of happened quite gradually over a few years um so it became quite difficult for us to pick up on things um you know right through until the very end because whatever he was he was feeling or
0: mm.
2: or anything like that he could never communicate to us to the point where one time he actually he fell over and he broke his elbow and he broke it so badly that it just completely shattered into seven pieces um it was so bad he needed surgery but we didn't know for about 2 weeks because he couldn't tell us um, oh, yeah so it's you know it was it was always quite hard for us to figure out um, figure out what was going wrong. Whereas most people with Parkinson's, they, they that actually is a symptom of Parkinson's um, as well. Sometimes a, a loss of language again because of the lack of dopamine release. They just can't get enough volume to get the words out. So they'll often speak mm. quite softly. So a change in voice, volume is another uh, another early symptom. Mm. Um, but yeah, some of these symptoms there's there's what we call in, in Parkinson's disease the hone and ya scale, which is um, it's like a scale of how far the d- disease has progressed, and it goes from zero to five. Uh, and so five is obviously you're quite, quite significantly disabled. Um, oh. You're probably in a wheelchair, you probably can't walk. Um, and then down the very stage one is, uh, you know, it's what we call uni- unilateral involvement. So it's only maybe one side of your limb is, is uh, one side of your body is, is having some symptoms Um, And then it moves bilaterally. So you've got both, both sides of the body are starting to get affected. Um, And on that scale, if you, if you can, you can recognize some of those symptoms before stage three, that's when you'll have most of the impact from exercise, because we know that. There's, there's a heap of medications, there's things like deep brain stimulation that you can do to um, help with tremors and things like that, but uh, the only thing that actually slows down the progression of the disease is exercise. So yeah. it's, all of the other things are just managing the symptoms. The only thing that we know that actually makes a difference to the progression is exercise. Um, and it's not exercise that uh, you would typically think of, Um, So if you saw somebody doing it, you'd think they didn't know what they were doing. (laughs) It's like, it's quite, um, it's quite unusual exercise because it has to follow a certain set of criteria for it to make a difference and cause some level of neuroplasticity in the brain. Um, So, yeah. So, so doing this particular type of exercise is what we call neuroprotective exercise, normal Mm -hmm. exercise, which my dad was doing all the time. So cycling, running, any kind of cardio, any kind of strength training, that's all just neuro, what we call neuropassive exercise so you're not going to do anything wrong it's not going to cause any further degeneration but it's not going to help it um so it's getting this it's getting it in the, before that stage three um and addressing it with neuroprotective exercise um which is a really specific way to train
0: yeah it's um it's just so fascinating isn't it because when you describe like you know some of those early symptoms
1: mm. it's
0: like if your dad's so active like riding across Australia doing all these things like these symptoms that you have you would never put down like in my head like when you were saying them I'd think oh he's just maybe a bit stiff getting out of the chair because he's yeah. trained so hard or yes yeah you know like then I think you know they ride a bit smaller well yeah I guess that's what happens when you get a little bit old like you discount it don't you oh, that's what happens when you get a little bit older or
1: yeah you know,
0: whereas at the end of the day like you know yeah. symptoms are not normal and but it's so easy to put it down to something.
1: Yeah. Or, you know, like
0: I'm thinking, oh, the voice gets a bit quieter or maybe the testosterone's a bit lower. They're not as, you yeah. know, like all of that stuff. You would never yeah. portray that. It is it is really fascinating and I think really important for people to to look for, you know, with people, you know, with their parents or with clients because, as you said, if you can get it in that early stage and there's some things that they can do. So when you talk about neuroprotective exercises what type of exercises are those that can really make a difference because if this can prolong someone's life like we need to know about it oh
2: absolutely it's you know one of the the big things I said when this all first started happening with my dad I said it's just not fair that people don't know about this it's just Mm -hmm. so unfair Mm
1: -hmm.
2: um and I and I just don't know why it's not out there even more than it is since I work a lot with older populations so um I work for a physio and we run sort of rehabilita- rehabilitation-based cl- classes. Yeah. Um, and I actually just put it in, put a little bit of neuroprotective exercise in every single class because I figure, <laughs> I yeah. think, well, it's not going to do any of us any harm. And yeah. I think if there's, you know, it's probably not enough to completely combat um. The condition, but at least if somebody's got any kind of early sign, at least maybe just that little two percent of that movement that they're doing um, might make the smallest little bit of difference. And and sometimes I can often tell when they're doing that, um, yeah. doing the exercises. I think, oh, that's there's, there's been a couple of people that I have thought, oh, I just need to keep a little bit of an eye on that because I I, I feel like you're not moving well in those in those types of exercises. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so it's uh, well, probably the, the number one recommendation I would give would be to look into a program called PD Warrior, um, mm-hmm. Parkinson's Disease Warrior. There's there's a number of different programs that are out there. They're, they're not necessarily new programs. Mm-hmm. Um, PD Warrior is an Australian-based program. So they're in Sydney um, and they do training for health professionals all around Australia. I think they go to New Zealand pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've also got an online program uh, program for people that have got the condition that may may not otherwise have access to be able to do these types of exercises. Um, and it's, yeah, so they, they've they come up with um, a variety of like just nice little neatly packaged exercises uh, for mm-hmm. people to do that are based around this neuroprotective type of exercise. Um, mm-hmm. There is other providers as well. I just, I, I I really enjoyed and got a lot out of the PD Warrior course. Um, yeah. And it's yeah, it's sort of its movements, it, it follows a, a certain set of criteria that need to be in in exercises for it to make a difference. And, you know, and you know, for example, it has to be a really powerful movement. So, mm-hmm. you know, normal squats up and down, that's just neuropassive. The, you know, if you're doing a Parkinson's-based PD warrior exercise with a squat, it's a, you know, it's like a drop down into a squat really fast. And at the same time, it's a really strong push forward out with your arms. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's it's got to have a high level of intensity. Um, it's got to be done frequently. So the recommendation is to do it, you know, daily, if not twice daily. Um, mm-hmm. It's got to be really complex as well. So it's not, again, not just a squat movement up and down. It's got limb involvement. Sometimes, uh, depending on the level of the client as well, it will have some level of uh, cognitive task to it. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, frequently it would be things like, you do your really powerful squat, push forward at the same time. And then at the same time as you're doing that, you've got to name three countries that start with the letter A. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, so it's, it's got to have a, a, a certain level of complexity for it to have any kind of effect as well and really develop that neuroplasticity.
0: Wow. You know, that's awesome. I'll definitely add those links down because it's just, I want to give people like avenues. You know, sometimes we think, oh, there's nothing we can do. Or people have tried everything. And I've just seen with Parkinson's and with like other conditions as well, there are different ways for, do you know what I mean? To explore, yeah. to at least try to
1: yeah, well, you know, I, get
0: the quality it, of life better.
2: Yeah. And in, you know, in this course, we did, um, it was actually probably the best course I've ever done Uh, probably partly because I had a personal interest. Uh, I I did it when my dad was quite newly diagnosed. Um, But also it's just, I've never had such a practical hands-on learning experience. So Mm -hmm. you're a little bit of an online component and then you come in for a day to, uh, to this, to a clinic. Um, Mm -hmm. And when you do the course, uh, one of the neurophysios does a consultation in front of you. So they do a consultation with somebody who's never had Parkinson's disease before, um, and they've you know they, they haven't even got their diagnosis yet. So it's just they've probably their doctor or somebody has noticed some level of neurodegeneration, and they've sent them to this clinic. It's quite a respected clinic in Sydney, mm-hmm. um, and then they're doing this consultation in front of the whole group so that the whole group can see what happens. And it's, Mm -hmm. you know, this lady, she did, uh, I'm going to say it was a 45 minute consultation. I'd say 25 to 35 minutes of that was talking and getting all the background information. Mm -hmm. Um, And then 10 to 15 minutes of this exercise, this really neuro exercise that, that they prescribe and, this guy walked in with a walker, completely reliant on his walker, very shuffly gait, could, you know, would no, have no chance of standing up by himself. And then she's done 10 to 15 minutes of this exercise and his family walked out holding his walker and the guy uh, walked goodness. out by himself. Um, now, obviously, that's temporary. It's not going to just stay like that now forever and he's fixed. Um, he's mm-hmm. got to keep doing this type of exercise, but it was just... I was just absolutely mind blown by the difference that she was able to make in such a short period of time. And wow. you know, I've worked with so many other different conditions and we always talk about exercise is medicine, and there is no condition that benefits from it more than Parkinson's.
0: Wow. That is just like. Yeah, that's so powerful, and I like what you said before that you put in some of those exercises with some of the older groups that you're training. You know, I'm sure it has other benefits as well, even if they don't have Parkinson's. Like, and I think yeah. that that's cool because a lot of people, you know, may not know, I suppose. But the thing with your dad as well is that he was so fit and active and healthy. And how old was he? You know, when he first got diagnosed, or how old would he have been when he got it? Like,
1: yeah, he
0: wasn't like that old. You know what I mean? Like,
2: no, no, he was. Uh... This is probably another misconception with Parkinson's. So uh, my dad was, he died when he was 72. Uh um, And probably his initial diagnosis uh, was probably about 68. Could Uh have been about 66 Uh Uh if there was more awareness of the disease because we took him to the doctor because he had this just little, little tiny little tremor Uh uh, in his hand. And we took him to the doctor and the doctor, just said oh no that's not um that's not Parkinson's disease it would be more of a rolling he's doing more of a tapping and that was it <laughs> yeah. and, and you know and I think now that was that was definitely definitely the start of it and that was you know right. years prior to that and then eventually I just noticed a few more things and then we took him to a neurophysio um, but yeah but he so I mean he's not super young when he got diagnosed but you know Michael J. Fox, he's quite well known for having Parkinson's disease. He got diagnosed when he was 29. Wow. Uh, so about, is
0: there an average age, like in
2: uh it's a about 20% of cases are under the age of 65. So what we call what we would call young young onset Parkinson's disease. Wow. Um and then it's it, it does increase as you go up in age. Oh, so yeah. once you hit the age of 65, about one in 1,000 people will get Parkinson's disease. Once you hit the mm-hmm. age of 75, about one in 100 people will get Parkinson's disease. It's a bit more common wow. in men than women; it's about 1.5 times more likely in uh, in men than women.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and we also know that there seems to be a higher incidence in rural areas which they think is down to some of the herbicides and pesticides. So some of the toxins that may enter your system.
0: Yeah. See, that's interesting, isn't it? So in terms of the cause, they don't know exactly the cause, but what are they sort of talking about that they think the causes might be? So herbicides and pesticide toxins is, is one of them.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Again, they don't really know. It says, you know, Mm -hmm. it's probably quite young in its research in, in figuring these sorts of things out. Yeah. Yeah. but I used to ask my, uh, my dad's specialist all the time, you know, different questions like this. And yeah, you know, his, his, his hot tip was that he believes that there's something to do with the amount of toxicity that we have um, in the world today that we didn't have in the past because it's increasing. The rate of Parkinson's d- disease is increasing by about 4% per year.
1: Um, oh, wow. Yeah,
2: mm. so so there has to be something to do with, what do we have now that we didn't have in the past, I guess?
0: Yeah, no, that's, um, I think that's an important message as well, is that, you know, it can be in young people. Mm. So if you do see something like this in a young person, like it's something that, you know, that we need to get onto. So what would you recommend if someone did identify something, some of those symptoms that you mentioned, like in a family member or in a client, like what would be your recommendation? I mean, do you send them to a GP because a GP may not be as educated on some of this yeah. stuff specifically?
2: I don't. I I don't know that a GP has the awareness either, which you, you know, hmm. also a little bit concerning. Um, if if it was me again, I would go straight to a neurophysio or uh, at the very least just a physio because generally a physio will pick up on some kind of movement capacity that they're li- they're limited in. Um, yeah. But yeah, if you can, it's it's. There have been a couple of people that I've uh, that I've worked with that, and you know, I'm just so on the lookout for it. Sometimes I see people in the street. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, Parkinson's disease. Well, oh, the other thing is uh, a really masked expression. So because they've got a, um, a a really slow release of their dopamine, often their facial re- expressions will be reduced. So they won't necessarily change expression when they laugh or when they when they frown, um, those are the other things that, that people tend to notice. So um, often if I'm afraid of, if I'm talking to someone just in the community, I might notice that they've got almost a reduced expression in their face and I start thinking, oh, I don't even know you well enough to have this conversation. Because <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> you know, it could be nothing, but do you know what? I would rather be tested and Get that figured out and, and find something that I could I could do with it then have a test and be totally fine.
0: yeah no I totally agree so in terms of like what like so obviously there's some things that we all can become more aware of and exercises exercise professionals can be become aware of but I mean what do you feel like can we can do more of or we can do better like if you had to pick your top few things like what would it be that you feel we can do about this? Yeah. Um, solving the world's problems I know it's a big question but I, yeah. it's always good yeah. to think okay what are some, <laughs> I, I know it's like we're not going to solve the condition but it's like okay well what are some things that we you know could advocate for or could actively look to do
2: yeah do you mean uh, more in like finding a cure or do you mean more in, a, in finding it early that we could well, do something I about think it?
0: it's, either all I think it'd be what do you think like are some key things that we could do now I mean it would just be like, is there anything that we could add to, for example, is there anything we could add to, you know, to screening as exercise professionals or is there, you know, like I'm just wondering yeah. like what would help catch it? Yeah.
2: Well, I think again, thinking back to my dad, and that was years beforehand when I could see that he couldn't initiate that movement. So yeah. if you could add to your screening as exercise professionals, something that really tested that. So you're not testing, uh, you know, like you might do often with my older population groups, I might do a sit to stand test. Um, maybe we could increase the amount of time they have to sit there because it's definitely after even more prolonged sitting that my dad would find it harder to get off the chair. So if you could do, you know, a sit to stand, but you've got to sit there for 10 seconds and then stand up. Cause then if there's any kind of struggle to initiate movement at that stage, um, you would, you would probably notice something then and maybe even doing it more regularly um, mm. because it might be when you first test them that they're able to do that, but they could still potentially be in that early stage of the condition before stage three. But maybe by a year down the track, they could be starting to move into stage one and it's a bit more noticeable. Or mm. um, a real analysis of gait even uh, because mm-hmm. I think I, even I've actually got videos of my dad, um, that I took again, pre diagnosis. So I didn't know that there was anything like that going on. And I remember yeah. taking it, I was taking a video for something else, but then I looked back at the video later and you could see that one side of his arm didn't swing in gait, So he would, he would walk and that was his affected side. So he, he was yeah. at one side that was way more affected than the other. And he, so he would walk and probably quite an even gait from foot to foot, but one arm wouldn't really swing. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, I think as exercise professionals, probably regular testing, even, you know, it is there is a percentage that get it in that younger age, but particularly in your older age groups, if we could do some kind of regular testing to just see if there's any change in those things over time.
0: Yeah, I think that's really important. And I guess like, you know, trying to avoid toxins as much as we can to some degree, like, you know, for lots of different reasons. But, and in terms of the cure, is there, there's no cure currently. It's just manage it.
2: Yeah. 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 So you can either, like I said, you could have it for 20 years. So you could, it could be, you know, managed quite, quite poorly. And you're basically in bedridden for 20 years until you pass away. Mm. Um, or it could be 20 years that you could have some level of control. You still might degenerate, but not to anywhere near the same level that you would. will yeah. still be able to remain as functional as possible to the end. Yeah.
1: Hmm.
0: yeah. And I think it's just a really important message for all things, you know, not just looking out for Parkinson's symptoms, but like if you do see something that there is a change in something to, you know, to follow it up. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's what, I, cause I, I wouldn't have followed up those things, Like, no. out of here, you know, like you don't yeah. think, think that I think, you know, what I've learned from you sharing that is like, you know what, no, I've got to follow through on some things and not just, you know, it's just down to whatever reason it's like, no, that doesn't seem right. You know, like yeah. you said, it wasn't adding up, you know? Yeah. So,
1: yeah. yeah. And
2: using your own judgment and, and understanding your own body, I think as well, because, you know you know how your body feels and while my dad couldn't communicate that you know if it was me yeah. in the same situation and I happen to be going down that pathway of a Parkinson's diagnosis if something or even any other condition if I you know just really checking in with your body regularly and thinking does that does that feel right or does that feel different to how it normally feels mm-hmm. uh, yeah, encouraging clients to think the same sort of way. You know, it's it's not normal to feel bad every day or to for that particular task to be hard every day.
0: Yeah, you know, and it's oh, I just can't imagine what it's been like. Like it's been a very challenging time for you and you know, particularly your mum as well. And but you recently did a run which to raise awareness about this, which was so inspiring. It um, yeah. you want to tell the guys about this? Like was it 130 k's you run? Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah, 130 Ks. Um, it was over 14 days. So uh, so my dad obviously died in uh, 2020, so the big year of COVID. Um, and he, yeah, he was he was such a fit and healthy man uh, and he just lived such a great life. And one of the, the things that he did long before it was really popular to do it was he did Everest space Camp, which is 130 Ks. Um, so I, if it wasn't COVID, I would have just gotten on a plane and gone and done Mount Everest, a uh, base camp. Uh, mm-hmm. but I had to make up my own little version here in Sydney. So I did 130 Ks over 14 days. So it worked out to be, I think from memory, that was about 9.6 or 9.8 kilometers per day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I sort of picked a different running route each, each time. Cause my dad really liked to. Uh, to adventure to different places. So I felt like he would he wouldn't approve if I if I ran in the same place every day. Yeah. Uh, so I picked different places. it was really it was actually really fun because I uh, just went to all these different places in Sydney and ran in, in parts of Sydney that I would normally never run and I managed to recruit uh, somebody on every day. Yeah, <laughs> so awesome. One of my friends did it. Gosh he did probably out of the Fourteen days I think she probably did 10 of those days and then I had a big group at the end and I had a finish line with a tape and I crossed the line and
0: <laughs> <laughs> and you raised quite a bit of money as well
2: yeah it's up to it's actually still people still keep donating so um they ended up being oh i I really wanted to thank everyone individually and I'm still thanking people because I have to yep. schedule in time per day to thank a few people Yeah. Um, because it ended up being over 300 people that donated. Um, It's currently up to $11,771.
0: Yeah, and the money's going towards, do you want to share what the money's going towards?
2: Yeah, yeah, so I did did my fundraising for the Shake It Up Foundation, which is um, a a Sydney-based foundation. Uh, And I picked them because um, I didn't realise in fundraising that a lot of the time you can do all this fundraising and a large percentage of that goes... paying people's wages Mm. um so i picked shake it up because hundred percent of their funds go directly to uh to research to find a cure Uh, Mm -hmm. and then so is that they're in business to go out of business um, Mm -hmm. because they want to find a cure and they don't want to exist anymore Uh, yeah yeah so so all of my all of my funds have gone to uh to hopefully hopefully help some research to to find a cure. And interestingly, I was just reading an article this morning that they were saying uh, that Parkinson's research, and I imagine a lot of other conditions research, um, has actually really improved since COVID Mm -hmm. because what they found with COVID, they had to find cures and vaccines as quickly as they possibly could so everyone had to collaborate he's saying. Oh, wow so then you know, people that were also doing individual research in things like Parkinson's research all collaborated a bit more and they you know almost fast-tracked things a little bit more awesome um so you know there is some benefit to COVID
0: yeah that's and I think there's always like it is always you know when there is tragedy or painful periods there's there is often you know a, a balance or something positive that does come from it like What you're saying there, collaborating. And, you know, I know for you, like, what about yourself personally? Like, it's, you know, what you're doing now is just amazing. I know it's something that, you know, you're sort of sharing your dad's legacy and, you know, helping so many other people from this, which, you know, any father would just be so proud of. So I think that's amazing what you're doing. And so, what would you, is there anything for you, you know, personally that, you know, what type of light or have you? perspective have you got from sort of this difficult time for yourself personally? Is there something that's changed for you?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Actually something you said to me, Ange, the other day really hit a little bit of a note. Um, so there's probably three major things that I think have, have come out of this for me. Um, and this is not just from, from dad passing away, but from his whole journey of the past seven years, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, ever since his early stages of diagnosis, I started to get just so much more appreciation for my body mm. um, and what it can do for me. And, you know, that kind of gradually got more and more as time went on, and I saw him degenerate even further. Mm. Um, because I often think, well, I, none of us know what the future holds. My dad would have never, ever. Um, thought that he was going to be the one that was going to succumb to something like this. So, uh, yeah, I just got such a deep appreciation for what my body can do for me. Um, you know, I can, I think if you said to me tomorrow, you've got to run that 130 Ks in one day, I think I could do it because mm-hmm. every moment that I do any kind of movement, I'm just, sometimes I just stop and go, how great is it that I can do this? My dad would have loved to do this. Um, mm. And that's anything from running 130 kilometers to my dad loved running. He would have loved to do that, but it's even down to the little things, you know, I'll get up from this podcast and I'll step out of my chair and my dad couldn't do that. And so it's just this yeah. unbelievable, of my body. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care. Uh, anything else but that it can move well and it can can help me to live the life that I want to live. So that's probably my, um, my biggest thing. And then you said to me the other day that, uh, you know, thousands of people or maybe hundreds of people have lost their dad and you were in the position that you were able to do something about it and that's almost kind of guided, I think, where my future might lead to a little bit and yeah yeah, that really resonated with me because I thought oh yeah that's um that's so true so many other people have lost their dad to potentially this condition or another condition but it just happened to be that I'm an exercise physiologist so I know the background of background of what can be done and I happen to do some presenting and I happen to have a dad that has this condition and that all aligned and it all aligned because maybe part of my purpose in life is to spread the message.
0: Yeah. And uh, it's really interesting. And it's interesting you took that on board. Someone said to me once that, um, Angela, you didn't choose your destiny. Like who would choose? You know, I didn't choose to lose this. You didn't choose to to lose your dad, young. It's like your destiny has chosen you. And when that was said to me, I just got the goosebumps over my body. And I just thought, oh, oh, it just all of a sudden I was like, oh. Yeah. right, Right. You know, and it just was, you know, and I think what you've started to do, I think it's evolving and, you know, yes. already you've been helping so many people and I think it's so powerful that you can do that, which is awesome. And um, we'd better wrap it up, actually. I just looked at the time. But we're, let's keep looking. <laughs> i finished all my talks and it's kind of on this topic, actually, about finding purpose. But I always ask everyone, you know, what would be your advice for the will to live your most, you know, fulfilling life? I guess you've touched on it about, you know, the appreciation for your body is just yeah something really that we need to stop and think about sometimes
2: yeah yeah that is 100 percent um one of them yeah and I think as as along that line um partly to do with looking after your own health but also being with the people that you want to be around and making time for that I think uh, you know, I'd, I often talk about that I'll miss a deadline to prioritise exercise <laughs> and mm-hmm. I'm okay with that um, because of what I've seen my dad go through and I think that having that appreciation for my body makes me want to live that life every day. I don't want that to be when I've got time. I want to live that life every day and then along with that, um, you know, again, I sort of see COVID as a little bit of a blessing um, in the year that I had with my dad because uh, I actually moved back home with my mum and dad, um, you know, a year or so ago and partly to help help mum with my dad because, you know, he needed full-time care towards the end there um, and so during 2020, for that three months that Sydney was in lockdown, I had dinner with my with mum my and dad every single night and um you know that was only a couple of months before he passed away and i just think that's the stuff you got to make time for and that's that's not again when you've got time because that could be too late it's it's doing it when you when you have time and you know it's me being able to live that full life and live that happy life that i feel satisfied that i gave my dad everything i could to the end. Um, you know, I just, we one of his last activities that we did before he passed away, we went to the zoo for a day, and I think yeah. you know what he had a good innings. <laughs> yeah, right into the absolute end there, we made time for him, and I think uh, I don't ever want to stop doing that for the people that are important to me. Yeah,
0: now that's such a, yeah that's so amazing Susan I think you're just an awesome I have so much I guess admiration for everything you're about and like what you do and thanks so much for sharing that I know that I'm so glad I chatted to you because I learned stuff that I wasn't aware of and I just was like oh we've got to get this out there because you know like there's there's going to be someone listening that will no doubt like see something and there's a reason it gets out and you know to know that you're you know helping another family or helping another person with Parkinson's is is really awesome. So thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate you sharing that. And um, yeah, it's just been awesome to have you on.
1: Pleasure. Thanks so much.
0: I'm Angela Lee, and you've been listening to Will to Live, the podcast. You can join us on Facebook in our Will to Live online community. That's L-I-V, Facebook group, or follow Angela Lee on social media and at www.angelalee.com.au. Also, if you enjoyed this podcast and would like to pay forward the gifts of living, please share with your friends. And if you haven't already, please rate and review the podcast. Thanks so much.